I'd like to begin our talk this morning with a word of prayer, if that's okay. Heavenly Father, the hour has come, Lord, for me to talk about 1844 and what it means for us today living in 2016. Father, use me in spite of myself. Put your words in my mouth. Hide me, Lord, behind you. Forgive my sins. So that everything that I will share today will be beneficial and will result in our lives being changed. Thank you so much, Lord, for being so gracious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to begin our little presentation this morning with this quote from Great Controversy 409. Are you all familiar with this? The scripture which above all others had been both the foundation and central pillar of the Advent faith was the declaration unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Daniel 8.14 These had been familiar words to all believers in the Lord's soon coming. By the lips of thousands was this prophecy repeated as the watchword of their faith. All felt that upon the events therein foretold depended their brightest expectations and most cherished hopes. These prophetic days had been shown to terminate in the, in the autumn of 1844. With these beautiful words, how can 1844 turn out to be such a big mess for the Millerites? Brightest expectations, most cherished hope, the watchword of their faith. The Millerites associated the cleansing of the sanctuary with the second coming of Jesus. And that message was the watchword of, the watchword of their faith, their brightest expectations, their most cherished hope. Where do they base their presumptions or presuppositions from? They took Daniel 8, 14 unto 2,300 days, then said, the sanctuary be cleansed. And they interpreted that to mean that the earth would be cleansed with fire at the end of 2,300 days. And Miller connected Daniel 8, 14 with 2 Peter chapter 3, 11 and 12, which says what? That the earth will burn like an oven at the second coming of Jesus. So he connected these two words and came up with the theology that Jesus was coming in 1844 at the end of the 2,300 days to cleanse the earth with fire. They also took Daniel 7, 13 and 14, which says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near him. They took this verse to mean that Jesus was coming down here and doing what? Coming down here to establish a kingdom that will last forever. A kingdom, a dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. So he stringed together these three verses and came with the idea that Jesus was coming to purify the earth and also the church and then establish his kingdom 
on earth. You're all familiar with that, right? What was the result of that? The result of that was the Millerites suffered not just one, but two disappointments. The first disappointment, the first great disappointment, was in the spring of 1844. And the second disappointment, the second great disappointment was the fall of 1844. What is the difference between these two disappointments? In the first great disappointment, no specific date was set. Jesus was coming any time between the spring of 1843 to the spring of 1844. And when when that did not happen, they set a new date that Jesus was coming in October 22, 1844. How did Miller come up with the idea that Jesus was coming any time between the spring of 1843 to the spring of 1844. Where did he get that idea? Here's what Ellen White says about what happened with William Miller when he was studying his Bible. He had devoted two years to study the Bible when in 1818 he reached the solemn conviction that in about 25 years, Christ would appear for the redemption of his people. And here are the words of Miller himself. I need not speak, says Miller, of the joy that filled my heart in view of the delightful prospect, not of the ardent longings of my soul for a participation in the joys of the redeemed. The Bible was now to me a new book. It was, re- it was indeed a feast of reason. All that was dark, mystical, or obscure to me in its teachings had been dissipated from my mind before the clear light that now dawned from its sacred pages. And oh, how bright and glorious the truth appeared. What truth was this? That in 25 years from 1818, he started studying his Bible. He started looking into Daniel in 1816. The date is very important, very, very important as you will see later on, he became convicted that in 25 years from 1818, Jesus was going to come and cleanse the earth with fire. And he was so happy. How many of you are happy at the thought of Jesus is coming again? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. From 1818, 25 years later, later would reach to what? would reach to the Jewish year of 1844. Now, the Jewish year of 1844 would be any time between the spring of 1843 to the spring of 1844. The Jews do not follow our calendar. They go from spring to spring, whereas we go from January to December. So, William Miller taught that Jesus could come any time between the spring of 1843 to the spring of 1844. He did not set a specific date, folks. Some of us, a lot of us think that Miller is responsible for the October 22, 1844 date. He was not. I just want to put it out as a corrective. 
He set no date because he understood what the Bible said. No man knoweth what? No one, no man knoweth the hour. So William Miller had, no, had nothing to do with this date. What happened when Jesus did not come? They waited from the spring of 1843. They counted the months. Fall of 1843. The winter of 1843. And then the spring of 1844 came and Jesus did not come. Wow. The second disappointment. What do we know about the second great disappointment? Are you familiar with the seventh month movement? Raise your hand if you're familiar. I think we need to understand a little bit more, just a little bit more about our history as well, on top of theology. The seventh month movement is the movement that is responsible for coming up with the October 22 date. How many of you know Samuel S. Snow? Yes, good. Some, some of you are raising your hands. The seventh-month movement. Seventh month. What does that expression bring to your mind? What is the seventh month? The Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. The seventh-month movement was founded by Samuel S. No. One morning, Joseph Bates was preaching after the, great, after, the great, after the first great disappointment. And while he was preaching, he was told to come down from the pulpit because Samuel Snow had just arrived and had a very important information to share with the congregation. And this is what Samuel Snow said. I got it. I got it. Jesus is coming on October 22, 1844. We were wrong about the spring-to-spring -spring reckoning. You know why he said that? Because he discovered that the decree of Artaxerxes, how I many of you know King Artaxerxes? Yeah. In 457 BC to allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the city, the streets, and the walls thereof, was not made in the spring of 18, in the spring of 457 BC, but when? In the fall of 457 BC. So that was why they were disappointed about the spring to spring reckoning. And where did he get the October 22 date? 1844 came from Daniel, from Daniel 814 until 2300 days. That brings us to 1844. But where did he get October 22? He took it from the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16. On that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you. That's the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement of 1844 in the Jewish calendar fell on October 22 in our calendar, folks. Does that make sense? So they were happy. They were happy. They had a new message. Now they know exactly when Jesus was going to come. In the summer of 1844, we have what is known as the midnight cry. Do you know what that is? 
Yes, the midnight cry. The seven-month movement, led by Samuel S. Snow, applied the parable of the ten virgins to them and said, we are the ten virgins, and we must give the cry, go you out to meet him, the bridegroom cometh. When? When was the bridegroom coming? October 22. That was the midnight. So we need to get ready. Go you out to meet him. What happened to Miller at this time, folks? William Miller was kind of in the back seat now. It wasn't him who was leading the movement. It was Samuel S. Snow. And you know what happened? Do you know why a lot of people took this message of October 22 seriously? What gave impetus to this message in the summer of 1844? Three months. The fulfillment of prophecy, which was the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Wonderful. Josiah Litch. How many of you understand what we're talking about here? Yes, wonderful. Josiah Litch predicted that the Ottoman Empire would fall when? August 11, 1840. And that was fulfilled to the letter. And the people said, wow, if these Millerites were right about this prophecy, then they must be also right about October 22, 1844. So there was a huge commotion in North America as a result of the preaching that Jesus was coming in October 22, 1844. Miller did not accept this date until two weeks just before that date. At first, Miller rejected the October 22 date, but then two weeks before that, he changed his mind and accepted it. The question is, what went wrong? Which part of Daniel 8.14 did William Miller get wrong? Which part of Daniel 8.14 did he not understand? Why did all that research in two years, from 1816 to 1818, end in a failure, folks? He got the time right. His understanding of the time element of Daniel 8.14 was right. 2,300 years would end in 1844. He got that right. What was he wrong on then? He was wrong on the event. You see, Daniel 8.14 is composed of two parts. A part that has to do with time, the 2,300 days or years, and the part that has to do with Events, the cleansing of the sanctuary. Miller was wrong on the event because he interpreted the sanctuary to mean exactly. He thought, just like all the rest of the denominations back there, that the earth was the sanctuary. It wasn't just his own idea. So that's why he made a mistake. Do we still have that belief today? Do we still believe that the sanctuary is the earth? No, we know a lot better because 
who do we have to thank for for this? It was Hiram Edson who got the impression as he was walking through a cornfield, as you know, of Jesus moving from the holy to the most holy place. Isn't that right? And as a result of that powerful impression, he got two more friends, and the three of them, you can see F.B. Hahn and O.R.L. Crozier, they got together and studied the sanctuary in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Leviticus, the book of Daniel, and a few other books. And they discovered that Jesus, instead of coming down here on earth, instead moved from the holy to the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary in 1844 to do a work of final ministration. This much we know about our history, right? And that's very good. But here's my question for you. Here's my question. Why was Miller able to correctly interpret the time element of Daniel 8.14, but not the event? Why did he only get half of Daniel 8.14? Did he not study enough? Was two years too short to understand Daniel 8.14? What do you think is the answer to this question? It was supposed to be a bitter experience, okay? Who said that? The pro what? I'm sorry? Okay. The prophecy must be fulfilled. I heard someone say sealed. What was sealed up? The book of Daniel was sealed up? The entire book of Daniel? What was sealed up? The vision of Oh, all right. Let's, let's get to the point here. We don't have a lot of time. This is the answer, folks. And a lot of you got it right. Praise the Lord for that. The part of Daniel 8.14 that had to do with the event, folks, was sealed up. While the part that had to do with the time, the 2,300 days, was not sealed up. How do we know this? The part of Daniel 8.14 that had to do with the time, 2,300 years, was never sealed up, but the part of Daniel 8.14 that had to do with the event, the cleansing of the sanctuary, that was sealed up. This is why Daniel, I mean, I'm sorry, not Daniel, William Miller got only half of Daniel 8.14 right. He got the part that was not sealed up, and he got the part that was sealed up wrong. Because it was sealed up. Let's, let's find out how this works out. The answer is in Daniel 8.26. This is, this is the verse that we need to really, really come to grips with to understand not only our history, not only what happened in 1844, but also to understand what our theology is about the cleansing of the sanctuary. Are you ready? Daniel 8, 26 says, And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore shut thou up the vision? For it shall be for how long? Many days. Can you memorize this passage right now in one minute before I take it off the screen? Because we will be coming back to this. And the vision of the evening and morning which was told is true. Wherefore shut thou up the vision? It shall be for many days. How many words 
How many times do you see the word vision here? Two, right? How many words are used in this Bible verse for vision? How many words? One in English. I'm glad you pointed it out, sir, because that's not what it says in the original. And this is what opened my eyes as to what really happened in 1844 and why Daniel missed the boat when it came to the event about the cleansing of the sanctuary. This gave me a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement. And here it is in the Hebrew. And the mare of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore shut thou up the kazon, it shall be for many days. Now how would you have known that this is what's in the original? If we're just reading it from the English, it's not so obvious, folks. That's why sometimes it helps to know just a little bit of biblical languages, not much. I remember what one of my theology professors told me about Bible translations. He said, to read from a Bible translation is like to kiss your wife with a veil in between. You're not getting the real stuff. <laughs> so this is important for us to understand. There are two words Daniel uses for the English word vision here, and for, a very, for two very important reasons. But before we get there, let's talk about the mare. What is it? The mare of the evening and mornings. What do you think is that a reference to? It's right there in the book of Daniel, chapter 8. What do you think that is? The mare of the evening and mornings. What do, you think, what do you think is that a reference to? What vision is this referring to? The time. How do we know that? Because Daniel 8.14 really says, unto 2,300 evening mornings is what it says in the original, folks. I don't like the way the King James Version, you know, scrambled all this up. In the original, Daniel 8.14 says, unto 2,300 what? Evening mornings. So this mare is a reference to that part of Daniel 8.14. Evening mornings, a reference to time. Notice what else we know about this. It is a vision related to time, you know, the 457 B.C. to 1844 B.C., you know, ball game, and some intervening time spans in between, like the 70 prophetic weeks. They're all part of that, right? Yes. We're trying to understand not only our history, but our theology as well. Here. The vision is true. It will take place. And the vision is not sealed. There's nothing in Daniel 8.26 that says that the mare of the evening and mornings is sealed. What about the kazon? The vision is for many days. It will be longer than the 2,300 years vision. And what else is said about it? The vision, this vision, seal it up, Daniel. Seal up the vision. Why did Daniel use two words for vision here now? To clearly distinguish between the vision based on time and the vision based on event. Because there are two different things intersecting here. So to make sure we are not confusing these two things, 
he uses two words. And the other reason to clearly differentiate which vision is sealed and which one is not sealed, folks. Okay, are you still following me? You're not sleepy yet? All right. The Marae vision, what is that again? The time, which is? 2,300 evening and mornings. Yes, that shouldn't be too hard to understand, right? Okay. What about the Kazon? What do you think that is? The Kazon that is going to take a long time. In fact, much longer than 2,300 years and which is sealed up. What is that all about? What is that? Please open your Bibles to Daniel 8. Since we're there, we need to really, really, really master Daniel 8 because this is where our whole Adventist theology is based on, folks. So we can't afford to be wishy-washy on this chapter. Daniel 8, verse 1. Let's all read together what it says. And this will all become clear to you as we go along here. God willing. Daniel 8, verses 1 to 3. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a kazon, what did Daniel say? A kazon vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at first. And I saw in a kazon, again, verse 2, and it came to pass when I saw I was at the where? The Sushan Palace in the province of Elam, and I saw in a kazon, three times, folks. He repeats this to make sure we're not getting mixed up with Gazon and Mare. It's the Gazon vision. And then if you keep reading, what events are included in this Gazon vision? It's the vision about the ram, the goat, and the little horn. Isn't that right? And then all the nasty things that these powers will do not only to each other, but to God's people. So in Daniel 8, 13, Daniel is exasperated. In Daniel 8, 13, in desperation, Daniel, 8, uh, Daniel says in verse 13, And I heard one saint speaking, and another saint unto that. Certain saint which spake, How long shall be the kazon? How long will you let this evil happen to God's people? How long will this kazon reign? It seems like it's taking too long for God's people to be in the fire as a result of the uh, persecution coming from these powers. And the answer was, unto 2,300 days, then what? Then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. In Daniel 8.15, what does Daniel say in verse 15? Are you still following along with me? Is this interesting? Yes? Are you beginning to see clearly what we, are about, what we are about and what our sanctuary teaching is all about and where it's based on? In verse 15, Daniel says, And it came to pass when I, even Daniel, had seen the kazon. What is this kazon again? Is it the 2,300 days? No. What is this? The ram, the goat, and the little horn. That long period of suppression and subjugation from these powers. I wanted to know the meaning of the kazon, then behold, there stood before me as an appearance of a man. We'll jump to verse 17. What does Gabriel tell Daniel 
in verse 17. So he came near to where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. And he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for it is the time of the end. The time of the end shall be the kazon. In other words, this kazon will reach until when? The time of the end. Notice, the Marae vision does not reach until the time of the end. How long does the Marae vision go? Until 1844 only. I hope you get that. So, and then from verse 20 and onwards, what does the angel Gabriel do? In answer to Daniel's request for an explanation of the Kazon vision, from verse 20 and onwards, he says, the ram is what now? What is the ram? Yes, the ram, which thou sawest, having two horns, are the king of Media and Persia. And the, and the rough goat is the king of Grisha. So the angel Gabriel spends time explaining to Daniel what the meaning of the Kazon vision is. Are you following along? Yes? Okay, I'm trying to make this as painless as possible because this is solid Adventist theology, folks. Solid Adventist theology. Basic Adventist theology. Okay? What about Daniel 8.16? What is Gabriel told by God to do in Daniel 8.16? And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel? Gabriel what? Make this man to understand the mare. This is not the kazon anymore, the mare. What is the mare again? The time, 2,300 days. Make this man to understand the mare vision. Did Daniel understand the mare in this chapter? Yes or no? Look at verse 27. Look at verse 27. And I, Daniel, fainted and was six certain days. Afterward, I arose and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the mare, and none understood it. Do you see it? This, word, this two words in vision is really messing us up, right? That's why we need to know, because it, it keeps switching back and forth, switching back and forth. Well, I'm glad you're here with me this morning. It's about time we understand what is really going on in Daniel 8. Because we are getting a lot of flack for our teaching on the sanctuary. So when does Daniel understand the mare of the 2,300 days? Chapter 9. Twelve years later, the angel Gabriel goes back to Daniel to finish that business that could not be finished in Daniel 8. Twelve years later. Daniel 9.27 says... Daniel 9.23 says, Daniel 9.23, At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the, what do you think? The mare. Why not the kazon? Daniel already understood the kazon, right? The ram, the goat, the little horn. But now the angel Gabriel is told in Daniel 9.27, Daniel, I have come to give you skill and understanding 
Consider the matter and understand the vision. Understand the matter and consider the mare. How many of you can follow me so far? Yes? Wonderful. I see a lot of hands. In Daniel 10 verse 1, this is the word of Daniel. This is Daniel's words. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing, and he had understanding of the mare. Do you see the whole picture now? What did the angel Gabriel say? Seventy weeks are cut off from this mare vision, and it belongs to who? The Jews. It prophesied about the restoration of the temple and then the coming of the Messiah, his baptism, as you know, his crucifixion at the middle of the last week of that prophetic time period, and then finally the destruction of Jerusalem on account of their rejection of the Messiah. This is the Marae vision, folks. Do you get it now? Yes? Wonderful. Now here's my question for you. Which part of the Kazon vision was sealed up, you think? Was it the entire Kazon vision or just a portion of the Kazon vision? A portion of the Kazon vision. Which portion? Which, which part of the Kazon, the, the vision that was based on events, not time, which part of that do you think was sealed up? The cleansing of the sanctuary? The, yeah, these are all events, the rhyme, you know, the Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, all the way up to the second coming of Jesus. Which part of that was healed up? The part, folks, that had to do with the time of the end. The part of that long vision that had to do with the time of the end. How do we prove that? Before that, why was it sealed up? Why was it sealed up? Because it had to do with the time of the end. It had to do with people living in your time, in my time now. It had nothing to do with Daniel and the Jews. Does that make sense? Very simple, isn't it? Let me read to you a statement from Ellen White. This is Great Controversy, 329. I'm sorry, the reference is wrong. It's Acts of the Apostles, 585. In the Revelation, all the books of the Bible meet an end. Here is the complement of the book of Daniel. One is prophecy, the other is a revelation. The book that was sealed is not revelation, but that portion of the prophecy of Daniel relating to what? The time of the end. When did the time of the end begin? 1844? 1798? Oh, the house is divided. <laughs> it doesn't matter. 1844 is still after 1798, right? So we're all on the same boat here. As long as it's not before 1798. Isn't that right? Do we all understand 1798? Most of us? But this is Ellen White, though. That's Ellen White. Before I give you the answer to that question from the Bible, here is the Mare. 2,300 years or prophetic days, from 457 to 1844. And here is the Kazon vision. Do you see that? Uh, yes. See how long that is? It extends from the time of Medo-Persia all the way until the second coming of Jesus. 
Which of these two visions reached until the time of the end? The Kazon, the ram, the goat, the cleansing of the sanctuary, all these events until the second coming of Jesus. The time of the end is sealed because it did not pertain to the Jews. In summary, the Marais, the 2,300 days based on time, the Kazon based on events unrelated to time, ram, goat, little horn, cleansing of the sanctuary, and all the nine yards there. Extends only until, the Marais vision extends only until 1844. The Kazon extends until the second coming of Jesus. The Marais vision is explained where? Daniel 9. Twelve years later, the angel Gabriel comes back to Daniel to explain the meaning of the 2,300 days. While the Kazon vision is explained to Daniel where? In Daniel 8, verse 20 and onwards. The ram is Medo-Persia, the goat is what? Greece and the little horn, Rome. It does not say that, but it's implied. And then finally, the Marais vision is not sealed, but the part of the Kazon vision, that long vision that, that pertained to the time of the end, was sealed. How do we know from the Bible not from Alan White now, that only that part of the prophecy that pertained to the time of the end was sealed. Please open your Bibles to Daniel 12. Are you still with me? Yes? How do we prove from the Bible, not from Ellen White, that only the part of the Kazon vision, that long vision related to events, was sealed? Only the, only the part that had to do with events for the time of the end. Daniel 2, I'm sorry, Daniel 12, and we will read uh, verses, where, is, where do you think it is? Here. Verse 4 says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the word, seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. This verse does not really tell you which part of the Kazon vision was sealed. It just says, seal up, seal up, shut up the word, seal the book. The book. Which part of Daniel 12 will tell you that only the part of the time of the end was sealed up? If you keep reading, folks, if you keep reading, the angel, what, the angel is explaining to Daniel the events that will take place as part of this vision. I'm going to read verse 5 all the way to verse uh, 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard a man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, that it shall be a time, what? Times and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, then all these things will be finished. What is the time, times, and the half a time you're a reference to? I'm sorry? That 1260 years, isn't it right? That ends in 1798. So this angel is explaining the events that will take place up to 
that time. Isn't that right? Up to the time, up to the, the, the time, half a time, and the dividing of time, you know. Then, Daniel in verse 7, verse 8, Daniel says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then I said, O Lord, my, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Daniel is asking, all right, what happens after 1798? What happens after, how is it going to end? What's beyond 1798? You know what the angel said? Verse 9. And what does the angel tell Gabriel? What does the angel Gabriel, or whoever this angel is, what does he tell Daniel? He said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. In other words, I'm sorry, Daniel, I can't go beyond 1798 here. You know what I'm saying? Because this is sealed up. The angel went as far as explaining the Kazon vision until 1798, but won't go any further. Does that make sense, folks? This is why Jesus never said anything about the cleansing of the sanctuary. You know what I mean? He, referenced, he, he made reference to the Marae vision in Matthew 24, 15. If you hear of the abominations spoken of by Daniel the prophet, what? What do we do? If you see the abominations spoken of by Daniel and the prophet, stand in the holy place, what should we do? Run for your life. Don't turn back. Isn't that right? Jesus made reference to the Mare vision. Why? Because that vision was not sealed. But Jesus made no reference whatsoever to the cleansing of the sanctuary or to any event related to that. The disciples of Jesus never said anything about the cleansing of the sanctuary. That makes make sense? Yes? Paul in, Daniel, in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 5 if you still remember the question we had at the beginning, how come Miller could understand the first part of Daniel 8.14 but not the, uh, the event? This is what we're trying to answer right now. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 5, what does Paul tell the Hebrew converts about the work in the second apartment of the sanctuary? Paul was explaining about what's happening in the first apartment, but when it came to the second apartment of the sanctuary the ministration that had to do with the cleansing, what does Paul say? I cannot now speak about this particularly. Why did he say that? It wasn't clear. There was no light on it. It was sealed up, folks. When I was doing youth ministry back in uh, many, 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 many ages ago in Southern California, I was asked about the question, this question. If you think that the Day of Atonement is important and the cleansing of the sanctuary, why is the New Testament silent about it? Have you ever been asked that question? Why is, the, why is there nothing said about this? You know the answer. It was sealed up until the time of the end, folks. Do you understand now why William Miller could not interpret the meaning of the sanctuary 
and the cleansing of the sanctuary in 1816, folks. Why? It was still sealed up in 1816 to 1818. You know, in fairness to Miller, we need to understand this. Because Miller is the laughing stock of the world today because of that glitch he did, he made in 1844. Miller did everything he could. Everything that was available, all the light that he had at that time, he could go no further because the light would not be unsealed until the time of the end, folks. Am I making sense? Are you beginning to see more clearly our history? Yes? The truth about the cleansing of the sanctuary belonged to the time of the end and was still sealed up when Miller was studying the subject in 1816 to 1818, folks. So we can't blame the poor man. He did his best. I would have done the same thing. You would have done the same thing under the circumstances. See, how did we get to this point? Mare Kazon. God is good. God is so good. It's not so difficult. You just have to put on your, your Adventist thinking caps on to arrive at this conclusion. And there it is. There it is. It would not be unsealed until the time of the end, after 1798. And when is this unsealed now? When is the sealed part of the Kazon vision that had to do with the cleansing of the sanctuary, where and when is that unsealed? Yes. This is why, after October 22, 1844, Hiram Edson is given a view of Jesus moving from the holy to the most holy place. Why? It's been unsealed. Wonderful. Praise the Lord, you understand. Yes, this is all pictured in the vision of the mighty angel in Revelation 10 with a little open book in his hand. What do you think that is? It was sealed up in the time of Daniel. It was unsealed in Revelation 10. Amen? And this is the time that we're living in. We're so privileged to be living at a time when all of prophecy is unsealed. There is nothing more hidden in our view, folks. Make sense? And we went over this already, so I'm not going to... Yes. Now, folks, listen. Because the Marais vision was not sealed up, it was the privilege of the Jews to learn it, to study it. Isn't that right? What happened? If they had understood the 2,300 days, especially the first part, the 2,000, the 70 prophetic weeks, they would not have ended rejecting the Messiah, right? Where are the Jews today? Yes. Right. Jesus said to the Jews that the Ninevites would condemn them in the judgment. Why? Because the Ninevites repented at the preaching of Jonah, and someone bigger than Jonah is here. Isn't that right? Yes. 
you know what? The Millerites just might condemn us in the judgment for the same reason. There is a call to repent, a bigger call to repent than what Miller did, than the repentance that Miller um, brought out in 1844. There is a much bigger call to repent today because there is a call to afflict the soul on the Day of Atonement, and we will not repent, folks. Could it be that the Millerites, who preached the first angel's message and went through this deep repentance back in the 1840s, could it be that they just might condemn many of us because we have failed to heed the call to be zealous, therefore, and repent, folks? I don't have a lot of time left, but this statement from Great Controversy 329, I think this is from Elder Writings. I keep getting a G. Okay, Elder Writings 238-239 explains to us what the Millerites went through and how deeply converted they were, even though their theology was wrong, folks. The saints anxiously waited for their Lord with fasting and watching and almost, what? Constant prayer. I'm talking about their experience now. Their theology might have been off a little bit. So they were what now? Remember they were Sunday keepers? And they were wrong about their theology, about a sanctuary, but look at their experience. Even some sinners looked forward to the time with terror, but the great mass manifested the spirit of Satan in their opposition to the message. They mocked and scoffed, repeating everywhere, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. Even angels urged them on to harden their hearts and to reject every ray of light from heaven that they might be fastened in the snare of Satan. Many who professed to be looking for Christ had no part in the work of the message, the glory of God which they had witnessed, the humility and deep devotion of the waiting ones. And the overwhelming weight of evidence caused them to profess to receive the truth, but they had not been converted. They were not ready for the second coming of the Lord. A spirit of solemn and earnest prayer was everywhere felt by the saints. I would pay anything to have this experience. I don't care if my theology is wrong, folks. If I can have this experience now, how about you? I'd be jumping up and down with joy. This was what they went through in 1840 to 1844. Two disappointments, folks. Two disappointments. Imagine that. Angels were watching with the deepest interest the effect of the message and were elevating those who received it and drawing them from earthly things to obtain large supplies from salvation's fountain. God's people were then accepted of him. Can you imagine that? They were accepted, but their theology was wrong. They were not keeping the Sabbath. They were keeping the first day of the week, but God accepted them. Jesus looked upon them with pleasure, for his image was reflected in them. They had made a false sacrifice, an entire consecration, and expected to be changed to immortality, but they were destined again to be sadly disappointed. The time to which they looked, expecting deliverance, passed. They were still upon the earth, and the effects of the curse never seemed more visible. They had placed their affections on heaven. This is a rebuke to a lot of us today, including myself. And in sweet anticipation, had tasted the immortal deliverance, but their hopes were not realized. 
the most important thing is there was no disappointment. Where is the disappointment? If I can have this experience, God is not disappointed. I'm not disappointed. What do you think? I'm out of time. I'm going to skip the rest of the slides here. You know, William Miller just might condemn a lot of us in the judgment because even though his theology was off, what did he do with that message? With boldness, folks. He, he, you know, he was a type that said, I don't want to be the center of attention. I'm not a speaker. I'm not eloquent. But since God is asking me to present this message, I'll go ahead and do it. Do we have that spirit? Are we willing to preach the sanctuary and the message of the cleansing of the sanctuary? What will it take for us to be passionate with the sanctuary, folks? What will it take for us to share this message, to make it the watchword of our faith, the source of our brightest hope and our most cherished expectations? I'm skipping a lot of slides here. What will it take for us to eat the book, to find a sweet in our mouth, the book that contains the unsealed messages of Daniel 8.14, folks. I'm hoping this morning that by the grace of God, the words you will hear this morning will convict you and me of our need to make the sanctuary our constant study, as Alan White says in volume 5, page 520, to become more intelligent in the work of atonement going on in the sanctuary, volume 5, 575, to clearly understand the subject of the sanctuary, Great controversy for 88. I pray this morning that we will step forward and finish what Miller could not finish because Jesus cannot come until the sanctuary is cleansed, folks. That's my wish and my prayer. Thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.